1: Matthew chapter 8. We're so glad you're here. Um, uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 8. We'll begin reading with verse number Um, 5. This past Sunday and what happened in Texas is just a a stark reminder of really two things. How evil this world is getting. And there's no no safe place anymore. We need to speak Psalm 91 over our families and over our friends every single day. We need to claim... He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him shall I trust. He shall deliver me. He shall deliver me from the noise and pestilence. Under His wings shalt thou trust. You know, uh, no evil shall befall us. No plague can come nigh us. Uh, Every day, you need to take the time it needs to take confess and proclaim psalm 91 just take it and read it and confess it over your family every single day and then it just reminded me of how much on time we are with this new facility because uh, uh we are making it the reason we're building this and we were ahead of it we realized we needed some safety measures in place uh, as you know, when we moved into this facility nine years ago, this coming Sunday—I mean, five years ago, this coming Sunday. Five years ago, this coming Sunday, we moved into this facility. It was a gymnasium. It still had the the basketball goals on either end. It had a scoreboard right up there, and uh, uh, it was it was still a gymnasium. A lot of these walls weren't were not up. Um, So uh, we've done a lot of remodeling. But with that being said, there's exits and entrances everywhere. And we've really tried to make it easy for people to get in and out of our facility. But what's happening now is that it also makes it easy for somebody who wants to do harm to get in and get out. So now that's why we're building the two major entrances that once we get started, most of these doors here are going to be shut. They're going to be locked. You're not going to be able to get in. Get in these. Uh, but uh, uh, we're just we're right on time with this. And uh, and I'm going to tell you something. Our usher team we have a we have an armed security guard, a policeman here every Sunday. But he can't be everywhere. So we really need some men to step up. We've got great ushers and they do a great job. But over time, if we're not constantly getting more. Guys, life changes on them. Their jobs change on them. Maybe sickness or something hits them, and they're not able to serve as much. And uh, we, we've got a growing church, a lot of different buildings that are having activities. And uh, we need some men to step up and become a part of our usher team. And uh, for nothing more than just to keep an eye out. All right? So if you'd like to be a part of that, men, we need your help. Um, you see Bubba? Bubba uh, will help. We'll put you on the rotation and do the training. Um, but we are uh, we are meeting here in two weeks with our police officer to update all of our uh, things that we're doing and to look at our vulnerable and our weak areas. And it's so important that our church family know it's safe to come to church here. It's very safe to come to church here. So we're on top of that, and you do the praying and we'll do the planning and God to do the rest. And uh, so we'll believe God for good things. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5. Matthew chapter... How many of you enjoyed the young man that did the painting this past Sunday? Wasn't he great? Wasn't that one? How many of you saw it before he turned it over? Did anybody see it before he turned it over? One or two of you did? Uh, When I first saw him do that on video, uh, and he was doing it before he turned it off, I said, oh, man, uh, he's just doing some kind of abstract art that it takes an art person to figure out what it is. You know those paintings, you look at it and say, doesn't that speak this to you? And I'm saying, that just speak, looks like a bunch of jibber-jabber to me. But then when he turned that thing over, it was uh, it's remarkable. What a gift the young man has. Uh, we're going to be giving the first painting, the first service painting. We're going to be uh, allowing uh, you to bid on that silent auction Sunday morning. We'll have it out here. And then uh, you can bid on it if you want to take that home. And the proceeds of that will go to the building fund. All right? Go to the building fund. And our building fund offerings this Sunday. So your giving is going to go a long way in helping us make this church even more safer than it is. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. How many brought your Bibles? Good. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority... ...of my superior officers... ...and I have authority over my soldiers... ...I only need to say go and they go... ...or come and they come... ...and if I say to my slaves, do this... ...they do it. Verse 10... ...when Jesus heard this, he was amazed... ...turning to those who were following him... ...he said, I tell you the truth... ...I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel... ...and I tell you this... ...that many Gentiles will come from all over the world... ...from east and west... ...and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Isn't that a great story? A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we began a lesson on the authority of the believer. Everybody say the authority of the believer. So we began talking about that a couple of weeks ago. And what we discovered is that we can start reading anywhere in our Bibles. You can pick, you can, you can pick any chapter, any book, Old Testament, New Testament, middle of the book, first of the book, the end of the book. You can, you can pick any place in the Bible and start reading and quickly you'll discover... That a war is taking place for mankind. Anywhere in the Bible. You pick it up and start reading it. You don't have to read many chapters until you realize a war is taking place. We're in a war. This is not a game. We're in a war for life. We're in a war for eternity. We're in a war for our health. We're in a war for our families. We're in a war for our finances. We are in a war for our mental fulfillment and peace. There's a constant war all the way around us. And the Bible tells us of that. We shouldn't be surprised when attacks, temptations, tests, and traps, and bad events try to come our way and get us down. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens because we're in a war. As Christians, we're in a war. And notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Notice what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is t- saying to Christians, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to Christians who happen to live in Corinth, and this is what he says to them: For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, as the world does. Notice he says we are waging war. You're in a war. People, I just, I just can't believe this happened to me. I hear this quite often. People, Christians say, I just can't believe this happened to. Well, why wouldn't you? you're in a war? In war, people are trying to kill you. In wars, an enemy's trying to destroy you. In a war, they're trying to steal from you. It's just life. And we are in a war. Look what it says. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is talking to Christians who were meeting in a town called Ephesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says to them. This is God-inspired words. He said, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So there is, a, there is an intentional scheme against you and I to try to bring us down. Steal, kill, and destroy from It's not just haphazard. It's not just ransom. Uh, at at just uh, random, Satan is intentionally trying to take you and I out. And we need to understand that. Therefore, we need to be prepared. And notice what he says. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle... Struggle? Yeah, we're at war. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we are at war, and we need to be aware of that. What happened Sunday is what is what our enemy uh, took advantage of some Christians. Our, inner, our enemy revealed himself. He exposed himself and took advantage of some Christians this past Sunday. It's not by chance that now the attacks have now started against the church. The spirit of Antichrist has been in the world. The Bible says in the last days, the spirit of Antichrist will grow greater and greater and greater. And we're going to see more of this in the days to come. Look at First Timothy chapter 1. Look at First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Young, young Timothy is being mentored and taught by the Apostle Paul. And this is what he says. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by recalling them, you you may fight the what? The battle. Everybody say battle. 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 Yeah, we're in a war. He says, I'm putting you in remembrance of the prophecies that came to you. So that you can recall them and fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Now, notice this next line. Which some have rejected. Some have rejected what? Faith and a good conscience. Which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. The Apostle Paul tells us that this battle has caused some Christians to go shipwreck. Shipwreck. Listen to me. Everything you see Christians doing that is ungodly is not okay with God. You need to understand that. It seems like we're living in an age that don't make any difference what you do or what how you act or how you live. Nobody goes to hell anymore. I'm going to tell you, that's not true. There's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And God's Word is still true. And God is merciful and He's so long-suffering, He's so kind. But the Word is true. The Word is true. There are still people, Christians, who go shipwreck. The Bible says it. He says, Some people, notice what he says in verse 18 and 19. Verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience. In other words, if you let go of your faith and you let go of a clean and good conscience, you've rejected and have suffered shipwreck. The word shipwreck literally comes from the word break apart. In other words, your Christian life has broken apart, it's broke. It's not working. It's taking on water and you're drowning is literally what it's talking about. Each of us, each of us here tonight, we can take a moment, every one of us can take a moment and review our list of friends and family. And we know someone who had at one time had a vibrant relationship with the Lord. We would say they were on fire for Jesus. And now you can look at their life today and see that they have gone shipwrecked. Are they good people? Oh, yeah, they're good people. Would they hurt anybody intentionally? No, no, they wouldn't do that. But they've gone shipwrecked. Their faith has broke. Their conscience, the things that they used to say, I cannot do this and be pleasing to the Lord. Now they find themselves doing it. They're doing it. Why? Because they've gone shipwrecked. They've gone shipwrecked. And Satan will use tragedies. He'll use betrayals. He'll use death. He'll use misfortune. He'll use people doing you wrong. He'll use theft. He'll use addictions that try to surface in our life. He'll use our flesh. He'll use lustful temptations. He'll use prosperity. He'll use anything He can to cause our faith to break. And for us to go shipwreck. So He can destroy us. And there is a spirit in, the, in, this, in America today. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a form of godliness... But it's denying the power thereof. And the Bible says of, some, some of those type of people, you stay away from them. Those type of people now are causing Christians to fall away by the multitude. It's okay to do this now and still serve Jesus. It's okay to act this way and still serve Jesus. It's okay to live this lifestyle and still serve Jesus. See, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power that will set them free of all ungodly living. And the Bible says, from such draw away. The Bible says, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils in the last days. So, shipwreck. We don't want to go shipwreck. And you know and I know people who are going shipwreck. This is not the day to be shipwreck. We are in a battle with a cunning enemy who is continually setting traps and devising ways to destroy us and our witness for Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. Look at Ephesians six eleven. Notice what it says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. He's cunning. He's out there looking. He knows your weaknesses. He knows my weaknesses. And he's looking for an opportunity to set a trap. Look at First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 and 9. You know this one. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy... Now, here's something. Notice what he says. Be alert and of sober mind. Listen, you can't be sober minded if you're not sober. All right. It's pretty simple. But you you can't be sober-minded if you're not sober, all right? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice he can't devour people just because he wants to. He's looking for someone that is weak, that's opened the door for him, that's invited him in through some area of their life that they do not have the armor on. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I shared this with you last, last time we, we met. Our interaction with the devil always should be the consciousness that we have authority over him because he's a defeated enemy. We talk about this battle and, uh, and we talk about being in a war. But you need to understand we're dealing with a defeated enemy. We're not dealing with an equal enemy. We're not dealing with a better enemy. We're not dealing with a more powerful enemy. We're dealing with a defeated enemy. Now, where he gets us is through deception. And because he's been doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again for generations to mankind, he is very skilled in his tactics. And most of us are just doing this for the very first time. We're just fighting this battle for the very first time. He's been doing it for generations. So he knows what's worked on other people and he'll try to use the same things on us today. So understand, though, with our interaction, anytime we're dealing with the devil, anytime we're dealing with evil influence, our interaction should always be with the consciousness that we have authority over him because he is a defeated enemy. Now listen, we err greatly. We err greatly. When we emphasize the craftiness of Satan, yet at the same time neglect to proclaim that Satan is a defeated foe, and we have authority over him in this journey called life. You need to understand that. If he comes against you and wins at anything with your family, it's only because he got in through a door that you really have the authority to shut. Yeah. You and I, have the, as Christians, have the authority over the devil. And we need to take authority over it. Every day in your life, take authority over the devil in your business. Take authority over the devil with your employees. Take authority over the devil in your health. Take authority over the devil with your finances. Take authority over the devil with your family. Every day, we need to stake our ground and say, we remind ourselves we have authority over the enemy. He's he's defeated. You know, I stumbled on this truth uh, back about 1984. Amanda and I had gone... Uh, to that little church in Allgood, Tennessee. I was 25 and she was 22. And we just airdropped into Allgood, Tennessee. Any of you ever been to Allgood, Tennessee? 2,000 people back then. It was the armpit of the county. In fact, in fact, the real estate agent told us when we were looking for a place to rent, she said, she said, where do y'all live? And we said, well, we're pastoring our church in Allgood, Tennessee. And uh, she said, Allgood? I said, yeah. She said, well, you don't want to live there. She said, it's the armpit of the county. Now, when the real estate people tell you it's the armpit of the county, it's a smelly place, all right? And uh, so she tried to get us to to live in Cookville, which was the neighboring city. The town had 2,000 people. Property values there were lower in all good because nobody wanted to live there. And it's only just a few minutes apart. But property values there were lower than any other place in the whole county of Putnam County. The schools were impoverished. They were they were having school in this old, dilapidated school that was built in the 40s, and this was in the 80s. You know how nice the schools are around here. They had they had schools. They had window units for air conditions, and most of the time the heat didn't work. It was it was city. I tell you how backward it was. City hall was on a septic tank. <laughs> city hall was on a septic. They didn't even have city sewer at city hall. That's how backward they were in all good Tennessee. And the Lord sends me a 25-year-old and her a 22-year-old. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd graduated from Belmont University, and I felt the call to ministry, but I didn't know how to pastor. I didn't, I didn't know what I did. We knew no one. The little congregation of 30 people had no connections. The oldest of the three board members was 35, and the youngest was 26, and I was 25. As one lady says, just a bunch of kids running that church. Just a bunch of kids running that church. They had canceled Wednesday night service. Now, this was when you had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How many of you remember that? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Two revivals a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. You go two weeks each time or you hadn't had revival. Prayer meeting on Thursday night. Visitation on Tuesday night. Uh, so they had canceled Wednesday night service due to a lack of interest before we got there. Nobody just didn't want to come. So they they canceled it. Uh, it was in the middle of this continual lack that in prayer I stumbled on the authority of the believer. I stumbled on it. It's not because I read in the Bible. I just got fed up one day in prayer of being broke, of being poor, of having lack, of my church not growing, when I knew with all my heart that God sent me and Amanda to that little dilapidated place. I just got fed up with it. And one day in prayer, it just dawned on me, I'm if Jesus lives on the inside of me and he's defeated the devil and he's living inside of me, I ought to be defeating the devil. But I was letting him beat me every single day of my life. So I stumbled on this in prayer. How many times have you heard someone say something like this? We are just, oh, sinners saved by grace. How many times have you heard someone say that? My Baptist friends are great at that. Well, we're just sinners. In fact, they sing a song, we're sinners, southern gospel. We're sinners saved by grace. Anybody ever heard that but me? Six of you? How many has anybody ever told you you're a sinner? Raise your hand. Yeah, the rest of you did, yeah. Well, listen, if you see yourself, my microphone came undone here, babe. Can you help me? Get my tape. You were my taper, and my taper didn't tape me up well. I'm sorry. Tape me up there. Would you take care of that? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's why, <laughs> that's why the tape didn't work. Before. Yeah, I didn't squeeze. I didn't squeeze where it needed to be squeezed. <laughs> that's my wife. <laughs> Some of you have been churches where the pastor did something like that, but not to his wife. So you need to be thankful. All right, you need to be thankful. If you see yourself as a sinner, listen, people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're not a sinner. If you see yourself as a sinner, you will sin. What do you expect sinners to do? Sin. So if you see yourself as a sinner, you're just going to continue to sin. If you see yourself as a sinner, your Christian life will be mediocre at best. You will be riddled with feelings of guilt and condemnation. Satan will seize that opportunity, pour on the guilt and convince you that you are doomed to live an up and down spiritual experience. As a defeated Christian, you will confess your sins. Help me here, bud. As a defeated Christian, you will confess your sins and strive to do better. But inwardly, you will admit that you're just a sinner saved by grace. Hanging on until the rapture of the church. But that's not who you are. You need to understand, that's not who you are. How many of you are born again Christians? Well, you're not a sinner any longer. Yes, you've been saved by grace. You were a sinner. Guess what the Bible calls you now? A saint. You are a saint. Believers are called saints. They are called holy ones. They are called the royal priesthood. They are called partakers of the divine nature. They are called justified, righteous, redeemed, overcomers, more than conquerors, sons and daughters, children of light, fellow laborers with God, and fellow citizens of the family of God. Nowhere does the Bible call believers sinners. So stop seeing yourself as a sinner. You got some tape for me?
0: You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Good.
1: Stop seeing yourself as a sinner. Stop calling yourself a sinner. Stop acting like a sinner. See yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you're a sinner, you're of the family of Satan. And you can't overcome him if you're a sinner. But you're not a sinner. You're the redeemed of the Lord. So understand our interaction with the devil always should be with the consciousness that we have authority over him. We are better than him. Well, I don't want to get cocky. You can get cocky with the devil, I don't want to get lifted up in pride. Listen, you get lifted up with pride with the devil, he's not on your same level. You are greater than Him, better than Him, more efficient than Him, more powerful than Him through Jesus Christ. And you need to remind yourself of that. You are not a sinner. You are the redeemed of the Lord. And you and I need to see ourselves like that. Look at Luke chapter 10 verse number 19. Look at Luke 10:19. Behold, I give you authority. This is what Jesus said. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, "I give you authority." Over all the power over the word power there means ability. I give you authority over the ability of the devil. I give you authority over the ability of the devil. I give you authority over the, ability, the right to exercise. The word authority means the right to exercise. I give you authority over the ability of the devil. Looking at the entire chapter of Luke 19, we see that Jesus sent out 70 disciples to minister his name. They came back with a report. It says, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. They're subject to us in your name. The Moffat translation says, the very demons, now notice this, obey us in your name. The demons obey us. Many times we Christians, we get to talk about the devil, and we talk about him like we're scared of him. He is more powerful. He is more. He is greater. He can do things to us. Notice what the Bible says. The Malphite translation said, the disciples said, the demons obey us in your name. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16. Notice what it says. The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Now notice this. All authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority authority has been given to me. Jesus said all authority has been given unto me. Where? In heaven and where else? In earth. See, we all have no doubt, well, in heaven, he's at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. He's been raised up, made to sit together with him in heavenly places. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. We understand that. We think in heaven, he's got all authority. But he didn't say, I've got all authority in heaven only. He says, I've got all authority in heaven and where else? On earth. The same authority that Jesus exercises in heaven, he can also, he also exercises here on earth. Now here's what you and I must understand. He can only exercise it through his body. He can only exercise it. We are the church, are his body. So if the authority of Jesus Christ is going to be exercised here on earth, it'll be exercised through us, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians taking our authority. Listen to what he says. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now notice this. Go therefore. You go. Take my authority. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So Jesus has authority on earth. But the only way it can be exercised is through his body. And his body is the church. And that's why he tells us to go. So every one of you sitting here today who have Jesus living in your heart, you've got authority over the devil. You've got authority. If he's been exercising his, his power and dominion over your life, it's only because you did not stop him. Because you have authority over him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now the value of authority rests on the power, ability, and might That is behind that authority. Now turn back to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to close it with this. This is important. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. Let's let's read this again. Let's read this chapter again. I want you to see something. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, but the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him. Him. He said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Now notice again, go back there to what it says in verse 8. Verse 7 says, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, but the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this. Notice the next sentence. I know this. Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 8. Go back to Matthew. Can you pull that up, Jamie? Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, verse number, uh, it's the one we did at the very beginning. It's the one we did at the very beginning. Begin with verse number 5. All right, there you go. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Now notice this verse 9. I know this. How does he know it? What does he say? Because I'm under authority. Notice he didn't say, I know this first because I'm a man of authority. He said, I know it because I'm under authority. My authority and your authority only works when we are willing to be under authority. See, And that's the reason a lot of Christians can't get the authority and the power of God to work in their life because they're so proud and prideful that they're unwilling to submit to anybody's authority. They're unwilling to submit. Notice what he says. I know this. I know. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. You don't have to come to my house. You just say it and he'll be healed. Why? Because I'm under authority. I'm under authority and I I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. But notice he first said, I'm under authority. I'm under authority. I'm under authority. Anytime I know that I'm going into a situation that I need to pray for the sick, the first thing I check is my heart to make sure I have not been in pride or rebellion in anybody, to anybody that I know I'm supposed to be under authority to. Because authority only works. Your authority as a believer only works to the extent in which you are willing to submit to authority that's over you. And this has become the greatest detriment to American Christians. Because we're so stinking independent. And we know more than anybody else. And we don't understand submission and authority. Submission and authority. Here's a verse for you. Turn to James chapter 4, verse number 7. Look at James chapter 4, verse number 7. Notice what it says. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many have heard it said like this? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We've all quoted that. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Before Before Satan will ever flee from you, You've got to make sure you sir are submissive to authority. Notice the first thing: submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. My good friend uh, Terry Law, who will be back with us in 2018, he uh, he spent a lot of years behind the Iron Curtain preaching the gospel back when uh, when the Cold War was going on, things of that nature, and communists. Uh, nations, uh, East Berlin, East Germany, Russia, places of that nature. And he said to me, he said, Eddie, it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing in the world to get people healed over there. Easiest thing in the world. I said, why is that? Why can you get so many people healed in, in communist nations that don't believe? And you come over here in America, and you, it's hard to get people healed. He says, Very simple. They understand authority. Over there, the authorities tell them, government says, you go here and they go. You stop doing this and they stop it. So I tell them, be healed in Jesus' name. And their body reacts. Because they're under authority. He says, in America, you tell people be healed and they'll say, that doesn't work. They don't submit to authority. And the, the centurion said, I know you just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. I know it'll work because I'm under authority. And whatever my authorities tell me to do, I submit to it. And sickness is underneath you. And if you speak to it, it will submit to you. See. So let me ask you a question. Are you submissive to your authorities? Are you submissive to your authorities? I have to check myself all the time. I tell you, in dealing with this building program in the city, I'm going to tell you, the devil lives at City Hall. <laughs> he lives up there. That's his residence. He's not in some foreign Middle Eastern company. He's up there off Vine Street. That's where he lives, up there in City Hall. He parks underneath the City Hall garage. That's where he lives. And it's hard sometimes when you deal with those people, when they say, do this, when you think, that's the stupidest thing I've ever done. It's hard to submit to them. But I know if I don't submit to authority, and I'm not talking about doing something illegal or something immoral. And see, a lot of people don't know the difference between submission and agreement. They say, I'll submit, but really they, they refuse to submit when they get out of agreement. See, if you only submit when you're in agreement, you're not in submission at all. You're just in agreement. In fact, you're really not in submission until you don't agree and then you do it. Everybody with me? Well, I need you to go over there. Well, I don't want to go over there. I, don't, I, I need you to go minister over there. Well, I don't want to go. I don't feel like it's not my... I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Tell me something that I like to do, something I want to do, then I'll do that. Well, see, we're in agreement. We're not in submission. I've had people say to me, Amanda and I have had people say, just tell us what you want us to do, Pastor, and we'll do it. And I'll tell them, and they'll say, no, I don't want to do that. See, they're looking, they think submission means agreement. And that's not true. How many times has your wife said, I need you to do this? It's not illegal, it's not immoral. She just needs you to do it, but you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You're not in agreement with it. As long as you're in agreement with it, you're a good husband. But see, that's not submission. That's not submission. Now let's take it a step further. How many times has our flesh wanted to do something? And God said, don't do that. That's not good for you. That's not my best for your life. That's not the way of holiness. That's not the way of righteousness. That's not how you act. That's not how you talk. That's not showing Christ in your witness and in your words and in your actions. And if you can't submit to that, how in the world are we going to get sickness and disease and devils to submit to us? That's why the Bible says, submit to God first, then resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Why? Because I know it'll work because I'm under authority. Isn't that what he says? Jesus said, I'm going to come heal him. He said, you don't have to heal him. You just speak the word. I know it'll work because I'm under authority. And we say to sickness and disease and the devil and our family, get out of here, and he won't leave. And it's because we're not submitting to the Word of God in our life. So we need to submit to the Word of God in our life. And then we're under authority. And then we speak the Word. And the devil will have to listen to us.
0: Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.